All right, with all that, let's pray. Holy Father, you are the omnipotent creator God. The greatness of your power is beyond compare. You are the God who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, the God who works wonders. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will illumine the words of this wonder-filled passage of Scripture. Open our heart eyes so that we can fully grasp the realities of the inheritance we are and the inheritance we have in Christ. I pray right now that you would quiet our flesh, cleanse us from our sins, fill us with your power, wisdom, and revelation. And when we grasp how richly God has blessed us in Christ, oh Lord God, I pray that it would move us to respond in worship and service. It is in Christ's precious and powerful name that I pray. Amen. Have you ever seen a mother or a father with a child that looks exactly like them? One that makes you say, that child is the spitting image of her mother. Now, I had to look up where that saying comes from. Turns out the word spit was historically used to mean perfect likeness. Go figure. So spitting image has come to mean that the child is the exact double of his or her mother or father. So much so that we say it's like they were spit out of their mouth. Such a child may also speak and act just like his or her parents or show qualities or talents that are similar to those of their parents. The similarities a child shares with a parent, they're often striking. But did you know that all God's children are meant to be a spitting image of him? The original Greek word for Christian is Christianos, which comes from two Greek words, Christian and Tion. The word Christ means anointed one. Tion means little. So the word Christian literally means little anointed one. During Christ's lifetime, he was called Messiah, or the Christ, which means the anointed one. And we are his little anointed ones, or little Christ. Now, this does not mean that we are little gods. That, my friends, is heresy, and it is patently false teaching. You are not a little god, no matter what the culture tells you. It does mean that believers are anointed with the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus in this world. In that sense, the word Christian means little Christ. Of Jesus in Hebrews 1.3, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This means that Jesus Christ is the spitting image of God the Father. In Christ, every believer bears the image of Jesus and should do so in increasing measure. 
When the world sees believers, they should see Jesus. The way that we speak and act should show the world Jesus. When people see a Christian, they should exclaim, she is the spitting image of Jesus. How is this possible? Well, last week we learned how God has lavishly graced his people with extravagant spiritual blessings. In this lesson, God's lavish grace continues to unfold in two incredible ways that are captured by one truth bomb. Believers are God's inheritance and have God's inheritance. That is the mind-blowing truth that we will examine in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 through 23. We have two divisions, inheritance of God and inheritance grasped. So our first division is inheritance of God verses 11 through 14. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, verse 11 begins with those two profoundly important words, in him, referring to all those who are in Christ. He says they have obtained an inheritance. So, in him reminds us of what Paul has already said in verse 4 when he said, God chose us in him, in Christ. Christ is the reconciler. God's people become one in union with him. They become the church, Christ's body, Christ's building, Christ's bride. God's divine purpose for believers includes the church because Christ future inheritance is wrapped up in his church. This is why God considers us his inheritance. If you have the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, when you read verse 11, you read it to say, in him we were also chosen. The Greek word kleru is used here. This is the only time it appears in the New Testament. And it is a difficult word to translate, but it is related to the Greek noun kleros, which means lot or inheritance. The Greek text literally reads, in whom, meaning Christ, indeed we were lot cast, that's that kleru, having already been pre-horizoned according to the divine purpose of the one energizing all things according to the counsel arising from his will. So the way that Paul uses this word kleru or klero in verse 11 means that we are apportioned as an inheritance. The idea is that we are God's inheritance rather than we have received an inheritance from God. Although scripture supports both ideas, many scholars believe that verse 11 refers to the precious thought that believers are God's inheritance. The emphasis is on God's claim on us as his inheritance. Now, this would have reminded Paul's readers of God's claim on Israel in the Old Testament. 
In Deuteronomy 9.29, Moses says to the Lord, But they, meaning the Israelites, are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. God's people are his lot, his inheritance, his chosen and special possession. Applying this imagery to those who are in Christ reveals that believers belong to God in a special way. We've already learned that he has chosen us, redeemed us, forgiven us, adopted us to the praise of his glory. We are his kleros, his portion, his prized inheritance. Paul is saying that this is true of all who are in Christ, Gentile and Jew. What an extraordinary thought. God has chosen to will to himself a people of his own choosing as his inheritance. Not only that, they have an inheritance from him given to accomplish God's divine purpose. What is that purpose? Well, you have to remember that these verses are all part of that one long glorious sentence. Therefore, from verse 11, we must keep it linked to verse 10. And Paul says that in the fullness of time, God's plan is to bring all things together under the headship of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says that this will be accomplished by God's inheritance who have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Being omnipotent or all-powerful, God has the unique ability to execute all his eternal purposes The word works in verse 11 is in present tense. God's purpose is still being worked out in believers right now in this present age, in you and in me. God's covenant people, his inheritance, chosen by him as an act of sheer grace, are now part of his divine purpose to bring all things under Christ's headship. This means that God's purpose for believers includes advancing the gospel by extending his love, grace, and mercy to others. This was true for the Jews in Paul's day. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul uses the pronoun we to refer to the Jews. They are the first to be chosen to be to the praise of God's glory. And they were the first to hope in Christ. When they embraced God's divine purpose for them, they proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. And as they did, God's kingdom expanded. And his plan to bring all things under Christ's headship moved forward. This was God's purpose for his inheritance, Israel. They were called to be a light to the Gentiles. But what about the Gentiles? 
Well, Paul addresses them in verses 13 and 14, saying, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, re- we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the words you also refers to the Gentile or the non-Jewish believers. They also are in Christ. Paul says that this happened when they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and they believed in him. Then at that very moment, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. No time elapses between believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation and being sealed with the Holy Spirit. The fact that we have believed in Christ when we heard the word of truth or the gospel means that the Holy Spirit's presence was already at work in us, regenerating our dead hearts. Without the Spirit's work, we could not and we would not believe. God seals us with the Holy Spirit to not only mark us as his own inheritance, but to guarantee his promised inheritance as his heirs. Believers are God's inheritance, and they have God's inheritance. Pastor Brian Chapel makes this clear, saying, those who are part of God's redemptive plan are marked with a seal that guarantees they're receiving full rights of God's heirs in a kingdom redeemed and made right. As God's people, this inheritance is ours. But we are not the sole recipients of the blessing. God also has his own inheritance in the saints. Now, I think it's important here to, to stop and, and look and understand that God's redemptive plan is experienced in three phases. First, as we learned in Ephesians 1-7, we have redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. This means that we've been justified. The penalty of our sin has been paid. We have been bought out of bondage to sin. Second, we are being redeemed as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, transforming us more and more into the spitting image of Jesus. Third, when Christ returns, our redemption will be complete. 1 John 3, 2 says that we will be made like him because we will see him as he is. This is the promise of the glorification of every believer. On that day, we will finally and fully become the spitting image of Christ. Right now, as his redeemed inheritance, we are given many rights and privileges that belong to him. We also have a guaranteed inheritance from him as his heirs. The future promise comes with a present responsibility to live to the praise of his glory. He is our Lord, our master. His ultimate glory is in the future when in the fullness of time, God brings all things in creation and in the church under Christ's headship. Until then, 
You and I bear the seal of belonging to him. Because we do, we have a responsibility to walk in obedience to his will. So our first truth is that being and having God's inheritance comes with the responsibility to walk in obedience to his will. What does the truth that believers are God's inheritance or special possession do to your heart? How does it affect the way that you see your inheritance from him? God has lavished you, his inheritance, with a glorious inheritance. Do not waste it by walking in disobedience to his will. Instead, surrender to his good and perfect will. Seek his face in prayer. Ask God to reveal your disobedience. Being and having his inheritance, it comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is to walk in obedience to his will. How are you doing that? How are you walking in obedience to God's will right now? Are you praising his glory in his beloved church? Are you pursuing holiness and advancing the gospel? We've talked about that before. And Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 should light a fire under us to share the gospel. Those who have, are not yet in Christ, they need to hear the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. They need to do that so they can believe in Jesus Christ so that they might be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Be God's instrument to those who are waiting to say yes to the one who loved us enough to die for us and who wants us for his own glorious inheritance. Being and having God's inheritance, it comes with a responsibility to walk in obedience to his will. And let me tell you, it, it, that's not complicated. Sharing the gospel is always God's will. So start sharing the gospel. As Paul closes this beautiful hymn of praise that began in verse 3, he immediately transitions to a passionate prayer for Christ's bride, the church. He wants them to grasp the inheritance that they are and that they have. So our second division is inheritance grasp. Ephesians uh, 1, 15 through 23. Paul has praised God for blessing his people with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, he wants his fellow little anointed ones to grasp the blessing God has so richly poured out on his inheritance. He begins by praising the Ephesian believers for their faith and their love. Look at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, despite the depraved culture around them, the Ephesian believers stood firm in the faith. They had a reputation of having faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul had heard of it from prison. They had a reputation for loving all the saints well. Paul had also heard of that. 
the Ephesian believers were glorifying God in how they lived. Their faith and their love testified to the many ways that they were being the spitting image of Christ to the people around them. This does not happen automatically for a believer. It requires much prayer and much wrestling with the flesh and the world. Paul was intimately familiar with the struggle believers experience as they strive to glorify God. So he does the very best thing he can possibly do. He prays for them. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul shows us how important it is to keep praise and prayer together. He praised God for his outpouring of spiritual blessing. He praised the Ephesian believers for their faith and their love. Then he prays. What does Paul pray for them? He prays that they will see, understand, grasp how richly God has blessed them. In verses 17 through 18, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this is a prayer request for spiritual illumination. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation given to believers as a gift of grace from God the Father. The Holy Spirit enlightens the heart of the believer. To the Jews, the heart referred to the inner mind, including one's emotions and will. No one can see or discern spiritual things without having the eyes of their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit. And no one can truly know God apart from the Holy Spirit's illumination. So at the end of verse 17, Paul prays for the Holy Spirit to give believers the highest knowledge possible. The knowledge of God, the Father of glory. If we are to be the spitting image of Jesus, we must know his Father intimately. As God's inheritance, believers inherit no greater gift than to know him personally. This is part of the doctrine of heirs to the throne. This doctrine, as you studied this week, teaches that in an extravagant expression of love, God adopted believers into his family so that we might relate to him not only as the giver of spiritual life and the provider of legal righteousness, but also as our living, compassionate father. So genuine is our inheritance that we are described as fellow heirs with Christ. Believers, are they not only have an inheritance from God, they are God's inheritance. This is what Paul wanted the believers to understand. Along with Jesus Christ, they are God's heirs. In verse 18, Paul prays that they will know what is the hope to which he called them. One commentator says that the word called is an important word in the Christian vocabulary. 
The word church is a combination of two Greek words that mean called out. Paul never tired of testifying that God had called him out by his grace. Paul reminds believers that they too have been called out by God's grace to a hope of an assured future with God. A believer's certain hope is the return of Jesus Christ for his church in Christ Believers have a living hope that Jesus Christ is coming back to rescue his bride from this fallen world. Hallelujah. This hope is our strength and our confidence for day-to-day life. This hope points us to what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, there is debate amongst commentators about whether this refers to the inheritance that God provides his people or if his people are counted as his rich inheritance. If the intent is to describe the riches of a believer's inheritance from God, this means that all of heaven's resources belong to God's people, a gift from his loving hand. God provides his heirs the wealth of heaven so that they have all they need to fulfill his purpose on earth. On the other side of the debate, commentator Brian Chapel and others who understand this verse to mean that God actually considers us his inheritance, his promised blessing to himself. He says that, God has cherished us so much that we are his chosen, redeemed, adopted children. We are his own treasured, prized, beloved possession. Does it not make your soul swoon? How he loves us. The words of an old song come to mind. It says, loved with everlasting love. Drawn by grace, that love to know. Spirit sent from Christ above, thou dost witness, it is so. Oh, this full and precious peace from his presence, all divine. In a love that cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. God's inheritance is so close to being his spitting image that they wield his power. This is what we learn in verses 19 through 23. I'm going to read it all together because you have to hear the power of this power in this passage. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's some power. 
glorious, omnipotent power, resurrection power, sovereign power, eternal power, the infinite, limitless power that created all things and sustains all things. It is a power so powerful that it raised our dead Savior to life, defeating the power and sin of sin and death forever. And Paul prays for the Ephesian believers to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power that is at work on their behalf according to his great might. These believers were facing great challenges, intense opposition. They needed to claim the power of God that he provides his people through the Holy Spirit. Today, there are so many people that need his power to endure suffering in his strength, to stand firm in the faith as they face persecution, and to overcome their insecurities and their anxiety so that they might live to the praise of God's glory. His power is right here, right now in the spiritual realm. We need the spiritual insight of the Holy Spirit to see it and, we, and to access it. We need the Spirit's help to grasp this part of our spiritual inheritance. God's divine power is not just for individual believers. It is for his church. Believers experience God's power when they worship and serve together as the body of Christ. Paul describes God's power as a sovereign power in the last part of verse 20 through through verse 23. He says that Christ is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand is the hand of power. He is seated at the hand of power and he is far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named now and forever. The list of those Christ has sovereign power over covers every power that we experience on this earth. Political power, physical might, spiritual forces of evil. It covers all of time from this age to the age to come. Jesus Christ is greater than everything and anything that you and I can or ever will encounter. He is omnipotent, sovereign head over all. Little anointed ones, rest in that truth. Verse 22 tells us that God put under Jesus' feet all these things, everything. And he gave him to us, the church, as head over all things. Verse 23 says that the church is Christ's body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, believers are God's inheritance And they have God's inheritance. Because the triumph of his church is his ultimate goal, God empowers his inheritance, his adopted heirs, so that they might be vital members of the church. So our second truth is being and having God's inheritance comes with the privilege of being an empowered member of his church. How does the imagery of God's sovereign resurrection power 
an exalted position over the church. Change how you think about your role in the church. What will you do in response? God intends for every believer to use their time, talent, and treasure, all gifts of his grace, to the praise of his glory. The place that we do that is in our local church and in the universal church. Do the people in your life see any degree of Christ's image in you? They will. When you submit to his lordship and begin to be his hands and his feet, his eyes and his ears, his voice and his mind, ministering to the lost, the least, and the last. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'm too old for this. I'm too weak. I'm too fill in the blank. I'm too, what, what is it? What is it that makes you say, I can't do it? I'm too whatever to serve in Christ church. Well, let me gently but firmly tell you, before God, you have no excuse, none. He empowers you through his indwelling Holy Spirit. He gives you his power. That is all you need to serve him. That's it. Of God's power, an old Puritan saint named Stephen Charnock said, the power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. Without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity, his promises an empty sound, his threatenings a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. God imparts that power to you, because his church must be triumphant, starting right now. Hold on to the truth that being and having God's inheritance comes with the privilege of being an empowered member of his church. Oh, Christian, little Christ, you have been anointed by God the Holy Spirit, you have been chosen, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, and graced by God the Father with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are God's inheritance, and you have God's inheritance. Indeed, one day you will reign with Jesus Christ, a co-heir to his glory in heaven. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Paul, shackled in chains and in prison, writes, This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. When God first created man, he was his spitting image. He created him to have dominion over his creation, to rule over it. 
Since Adam failed and fell from grace, God has been working to redeem his creation. This includes his inheritance reigning with Christ. One day, we will sit on thrones alongside our Savior and enjoy by grace what is his by right. Can you imagine what that will be like? The Apostle John helps us in Revelation 19.6. I want you to close your eyes and step into the story with me. Listen. You hear something like the shout of a vast multitude and like the boom of many pounding waves and like the roar of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, reigns. And if you are God's inheritance and you have God's inheritance, you will be right there, reigning alongside the glorious, all-powerful King of kings, shining with the fullness of his glory, a spitting image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Oh, how great you are, Lord. Your power is absolute. Your understanding beyond comprehension. You reign the sovereign king over all. How wonderful then that you call us your adopted children, your inheritance. How marvelous that you lavishly grace us with the rights, privileges, and power that belong to Jesus Christ. As believers, we are co-heirs with him. You empower us to speak and act for you. Oh, Lord God, help us to trust that your omnipotent power is at work in us and for us, redeeming and resurrecting all that is according to your good and perfect will. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fill us with this power so that we might live and be to the praise of God's awesome glory. Amen.